the Matrix has you. So this is the 100th episode of the Crooked Table podcast, and I knew that this conversation was going to run long, but I didn't anticipate quite how long. So uh, with this conversation about The Matrix, we will be breaking this up into two parts. So this will be part one of the episode, and uh, then there will be uh, a second part uh, posted uh, the following week and airing on Odyssey the following week uh, as well in the normal time slot. Uh, in addition, there will probably be some bonus content that I will post to uh, my Patreon feed for Crooked Table. So if you want more in- information about that, go to patreon.com slash crooked table. Otherwise, enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Crooked Table podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yannis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism uh, community and conversation by bringing on uh, professional critics, fans, uh, anyone who has a love of film, which let, let's be honest, everybody, everyone has a movie that they love. And so every week we bring on a different guest to talk about a, a film that's really impacted them, whether it's one they grew up with, something that hit them emotionally, or just a film that they really admire. Um, and we, we dissect it in depth. So this episode is actually episode 100 of the Crooked Table podcast. Which, yes, it's taken us a little longer to get there than it should have, but, you know, you have to find your groove, and sometimes that takes five years. So, um, for this episode, I'm going all the way back to the beginning by bringing on the original co-host of the Crooked Table podcast, my brother, Freddie Yanis. Hello, everyone. Welcome back <laughs> to the Crooked Table podcast. I, I think the last one you were on was it sometime last year. I don't remember exactly what it was. It might have been uh, it was, Cloverfield. Yes, that's the one. I think it was that one. Yeah. yeah, which was, was funny enough, we just referenced a minute ago. I was yeah, talking about, yeah. We, yeah, we were talking about New Mutants was possibly getting uh, cast off to Hulu, and it was just, Cloverfield Paradox is the perfect example of Paramount had a movie, and they were like, I don't know what to do with this. It's not very good. It's fuck it. Super Bowl night. It's, I, it's a big deal now. I wonder if that point, is it like the creative control was just wonky, or the studio came and then ruined the whole thing. I don't you know. Well, it wasn't supposed to, to be... For the longest time, it was just a movie called God Particle, and it wasn't supposed to be Cloverfield. It was kind of reverse-engineered into the Cloverfield franchise, so maybe that's part of it. Uh, oh, but either way, yeah. that's not, not a great movie. <laughs> I think the only, like, real... I mean, the first one's good, but now we're on a tangent already. Uh, the first one's good, but 10 Cloverfield Lane is freaking amazing. So that's a, that's a great film. Yeah. Obviously, check that out. Listen to our Cloverfield... Uh, it was really a retrospective on the whole franchise, too. We talked about all three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so go back and listen to that one. I don't even remember what episode number that was, but um, that was Freddie's previous um, previous appearance here. I think we did 10 Cloverfield Lane as well. Maybe. We talked about we that. We did pre- a podcast on yeah. that one, too. Yeah. Or, yeah, or one of us. I think I had seen it and you hadn't or something at that point, so I was talking about it. Yeah, but it was the, it's I'm that not. and then, yeah. So it's just, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just go go back and listen to uh, Freddie's previous episodes, which are many. Uh, you can find them all at crookedtable.com. So, uh, Freddie, welcome back. It's uh, it's good to bring you on here. I, I obviously wanted to have you for this milestone episode. It's good to be back and good to be here <laughs> That's for good. this milestone episode. <laughs> just... It's just reverberate what you just said back Sorry, to Sorry, go in here. What's going on? <laughs> Ceiling's not that tall. Um, so, of course, uh, we... I came to Freddie and I said, 
uh, I'm, you know, we're, the podcast is reaching 100 episodes. I want to do something special. And yeah, episode 50, I just yammered on for an hour about like, this is what I'd like to do with the podcast. This is where it came from. This is where it's going. Blah, blah, blah. I actually started re-listening to that the other day to be like, all right, have I gotten any closer to what I'm saying on this in episode 50? And I did a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the, to, the entire premise of the show has changed since then, which I did not anticipate when I recorded episode 50. Um, but, you know, I felt like bringing you on would would kind of mark that occasion. And then the film that you picked, which people that are playing this episode already know the title of, yes. uh, but we're, we like to build suspense in here. Um, <laughs> you know, when you said that, I would just, I, I, it was it's the perfect selection because if, if I was doing, I mean, I granted the first episode of this new format was me, uh, my choice, and I chose Ace Ventura Pet Detective just because I thought it was kind of random, quirky, and I grew up with it. And I was just like, let's just pick something weird and see how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but if I was picking my favorite movie, it would be between this and Jerry Maguire, which I wrote a feature about on the site about how much I love that movie and why and all that mm-hmm. and how it gives me all the feels. Um, but this was honestly more impactful uh, on me as a, uh, a cinephile, as a, as a person, that a lover of movies and someone who sees much, gets much more out of them than just entertainment and escapism Mm -hmm. and uh so so it's just kind of it's really appropriate that you ended up picking that yeah it's when you observe the the like you're entertained but you also observe the craft that right exactly happens behind exactly and i think yeah everybody has that movie i think the youtube movie critic chris stuckman has mentioned a lot that his movie that that kind of awoke him to that possibility was uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Signs in 2002. He's a little bit younger than me, so it was probably about the same age mm-hmm. uh, when he saw Signs as I was when I saw this movie. Um, but yeah, every, everybody that ends up becoming huge into movies or part of the industry or whatever, especially, I think, has that one film that kind of pff, opens your eyes. Mm-hmm. And that was this one for me. And we'll get into our histories with watching it and stuff in a little bit. So let me just uh, formally announce that we're going to be talking about The Matrix. And I don't know how long this conversation is going to be, but it'll probably rival the length of the movie, depending if I get to my four pages of notes. And yes, I've seen this film a million times, and I still had lot, lots of notes and lots of things. I was like, oh, shit, we need to make sure we talk about that. Um, just because there's a lot to get into just within the movie itself, also like its cultural impact mm-hmm. uh, and everything going on. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for The Matrix. What is happening to me? The answer is out there, Neo. It's the question that drives us. What is the Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, Neo. Human beings are a disease. You are a cancer of this planet. And we are the cure. Welcome to the real world. That was a little bit of the trailer from The Matrix. So, Freddie, since, you know, we both know the answer to this and most people listen, this is not like an obscure indie film that that you've picked. Yes. Uh, So can you tell people who, for some reason, aren't aware, what is The Matrix? I I mean, I can go go on for forever. But basically, he is a... He's a programmer. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Can program? Oh, it's not in my notes. Hold on, let me check. <laughs> he's a programmer. He does C plus <laughs> plus. No. Uh, he's a he's a program uh, programmer, and um, and he has this alias that he goes by Neo, in which he 
uh, creates these programs that he it's all very hands vague. off to it's all very to like criminals in which they can escape their identity or I I, I believe that's, that's they don't really explain it in the movie but I like that I mean we'll talk about that but the, a lot of the, the mythos, it's open to interpretation yeah a lot of the mythos of Neo and who he is and like all all the stuff before the main plot kicks in like they just jump in like another movie might spend 15 20 minutes just explaining like oh so there's this guy and he just works for this thing and this is what he does and he it might he, be 20 minutes he discovers before the concept of the matrix and he's like what the hell is that and it's that but this movie just jumps in well they where, jump in right into the action with yeah, trinity that's true and that's them true. talking about him on or no no yeah, the yeah they're talking you, about him on the you phone hear, you see the the like the cursor and it's uh, you hear Neo, uh, not Neo, uh, Trinity and Cipher talking about him, and then shh, you go into it, and, and go into you the, see her the, with the hands the, up and stuff. The binary zero, right? Go into the, the code of the yeah. Matrix, which is such an iconic image. Yeah. So, um, so that's that's really cool. And then like, oh, I'm being tracked, and then it leads right into the scene where she's right fighting it off, and that whole action sequence. Right. The, I mean. Screenwriting 101, you want to get your audience right off the bat. You know, you want to start with a scene that captures your audience. Mm-hmm. And even if you're writing an essay, you want something that's yeah. going to make them want to watch more, read more. Right. Um, and and that's that's scene. First of all, the image of, of going through the code, the, the code is, is a really cool image in itself. But um, having that whole action sequence and being... Uh, very gravity defying. I mean, this is one of many right. moments that that it's like that. But but that is at the time specifically, it wasn't as uh, prominent right. in a lot of uh, action films. Yeah. So starting off with that scene. I mean, I'm not really well, talking about the whole film. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's just. But <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we can go scene by scene. Well, specifically, we will. I have. All of that covered. Um, why did you Why did you pick The Matrix as the movie you wanted to talk about? Um, well, when I initially saw it, it's because um, of how unique it is, how uh, it goes against. It's it's especially at the time. It's nothing that you've it's it, you've never seen it before. Right. You know, and it's one of those movies that blows your mind, makes you think when you watch it. It's, uh, you you catch other several other things. It's cleverly written. The music is really really good, and it has those uh, the cinematography, the action sequence, everything in this movie right. is 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 on point, and uh, and 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 the fact that it's about um, a person that feels that's that. F- Feels like he wants to escape his reality a little bit by be, by going under an, a different alias, and he realizes that his life has more meaning than what it's uh, what he deems it's destined it's to a, be. It's a that's a yeah, and that's a classic storytelling trope. Luke Skywalker or Anakin Skywalker, either one, both. Yeah. Uh, Harry Potter, uh, Frodo Baggins, everyone's like yeah. the one, the chosen for whatever purpose. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that plays into all of that very very much so. Yeah, and then it takes it up another level. Yeah, so this adding is adding the whole mythos of of uh, of uh, the Matrix and 
and uh, you know robots taking over and, and spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> no, obviously we're we're gonna when we when we delve straight up into the movie. There we will. It will be all spoilers. This is not even a podcast where I pretend to care about spoilers. Yeah. Um, like we did. A, I did an episode that actually I think the episode previous to this one. Um, where we talked about a movie from last year, mm-hmm. and I, I was like, "Yeah, spoilers. It's all whatever. We'll let it all hang out there." Yeah. Um, it's just this is not the kind of show. In order to have a really deep dissection of a movie, and this movie is, as of this recording, twenty years old, which is astounding. Like almost exactly, almost to the like a couple months away. It came out. Uh, I have it written down somewhere. Uh, it came out like March. Yeah, March thirty first, nineteen ninety nine. So we we're about two months uh, prior to the twentieth anniversary proper. Um, of this film. So, yeah, so we will del- be delving into all the, that spoilerific detail. So, this is your, this was your personal favorite film, right? Yes, definitely. Did you, when did we even, when did uh, Mom and Dad even let you see this? Did you see it when it came out? Were you like eight years old watching The Matrix? I forget, like pretty much. Like Yeah, I think so. It wasn't, I mean, it's, and it's R rated, it was... but it's not like, it's R rated, but I feel like it's R rated almost more because of the concepts and the themes, the whole like, yeah, human race is fucked. We're all taken over by... Like, it's more the, the content because other than the, the lobby scene, which we'll mention there in a little bit, uh, other than the big lobby shootout and stuff towards the end, there's a lot... There's action, but there's nothing really, like, super violent until later on. There's not even that much language. There's no F-bombs. Like, you take away a couple... Like, the the... The lobby shootout, you tone that down a little bit or something, mm-hmm. and you know the gun to the head with with Trinity, uh, Trinity shooting the the agent, things like that. This could easily almost be PG thirteen. Yeah, I think so. It's mainly language. Yeah. Than anything else? There's no. There's no sex. There's no. There's no really like. There's nothing. There's graphic no like. There's no all. like sweaty rave scene like there so, is in the sequel. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I th- I think for this one I think I saw pretty much all of it in its entirety yeah. and and if and if there was something bad it'd just be like turn a, you know close your eyes right. or turn around or something like that. So did you like the movie that much from from that yeah I mean I I know because yeah. I grew up with you but <laughs> listening oh, yeah. to, for the listeners did you like were you immediately hooked with this movie when you first saw it or were you did it take did it take I mean because it's also a movie that kind of uh, you can almost kind of age into like as a little kid you're like cool action stuff but then as you get older you're like holy shit there's a lot more going on here than I even thought of when I first saw it because I, I, I mean I was 16 when, or almost 16 I was 15 when I saw this mm-hmm. but I, it was 16 and 99 so um, you know I, even at that age like this movie came out and this this movie blew my little 15 year old mind so I can only <laughs> imagine watching it as like yeah you weren't so you weren't even 8 yet you were 7 when it came out you didn't see it in theaters though I don't think I'm pretty sure I went with dad and then we got it on VHS, and then we watched. Yeah, and then I probably it. saw it there. I don't remember the first time that I saw it, but I knew that I I loved it right away. Right. Um, Did you understand you it when you? Yeah, I I, I understood it. Okay. I, I might not have picked up everything, but I, I it's one of those movies that really gets you thinking. Right. And I, that's something that I admired from the first time I saw it. So. And the movie goes to great lengths to make sure that you understand its central premise very clearly. Where literally you have that like sp- like chilling moment where where Morpheus is explained it to Neo, and then he does his little his basically his conclusion to his whole desert of the real speech, mm-hmm. where he's like, "The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes." In order to turn a human being into this, and he holds up the battery. Yeah. Like, that's, you're like, oh, okay, got it. 
humans are batteries. We're being used. We're being used as fuel for the. Okay, cool. Like that's all to, you need to, to know. Power, like they're like to power the robots. It's almost like and I reference. I think like I reference this on the podcast before, but it's almost like that spaceballs moment where he turns around. He's like, everybody got that. It's like just to make sure that you understand a hundred percent. This is what the situation is. They they really nail it. Uh, they really hit the nail on the head and and illustrate that as as blatantly as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, and then of course earlier in the movie, Switch calls Neo like Copper Top, which is like the battery. There's a lot, a million. We'll talk about a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I first saw this in theaters when it came out with 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 our dad, uh, and I I really liked it, but I, I felt like my I, I had no idea what the hell was going on. Like mm-hmm. I was like I don't understand this shit. But it's this is cool, but I don't I don't I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Something about robots, I don't understand it. Like, because at that point, I hadn't. Like, there's been movies like this. There's been movies that are really deep and thought provoking, and and uh, you know, kind of challenging viewers in this in that way. But I feel like not not in this level. Nothing that had gone like nothing like that had really gone mainstream in a long time. Um, so yeah, so I saw that's when I saw it in theaters, and then as we sort of alluded to a few minutes ago. I, I did a like insanely long thesis on sci-fi and fantasy and things like that, which I may be working on brushing up, brushing up in the near future. But so I've written an entire paper on the Matrix, and like you, you know, I, I read a lot about it over the years and things like that. So my appreciation for it has only grown. But this was the film, and I think this is probably the case for you too. Um, this was the film that really opened my eyes to the fact that. There, they, they were, there were people making these movies. Like I knew there were people making the movies, but there were people making these movies. There was, you know, all kinds of influences involved. Like, you know, uh, art is is cyclical. So someone makes something that introduces that, that uh, in, uh, influences somebody else to make something, and then they they bring their experiences and the things they've seen, the things they've learned uh, from their own personal life, but also from the art that they've witnessed, and they bring that to their own projects. Uh, there's symbolism and all kinds of illusions going on in here. I mean, I even wrote down some of the stuff that this this film has so many different things going. There's sci-fi, there's philosophy, there's anime, there's film noir. There's kind of a body horror thing going on. There's even some fairy tales and religion and fantasy elements. There's there's so much stuffed into this one film. So yeah, so I watched this. Uh, I mean, yeah, I watched it when I was 15, and I got it on VHS, got it on DVD, and got it on Blu-ray. Well, sort of. I sort. We might I don't mention know, 4K. not yet. I don't have 4K really, <laughs> um, but I, we might mention the sequels tangentially. But for the most part, we're really going to focus in on this one film. It starts out with the code. We have Trinity and Cipher talking, and it feels very film noir to me. Like in the beginning, it's just like, oh, this guy. I've been watching him. Blah blah blah. You know, everybody's shady, and like, and and then uh, that's when the uh, the in, Agent Smith is is uh, introduced, introduced yeah. and. I won't get your feedback on this, but for me, he's he's probably one of my all-time favorite cinematic villains. Would you would you would you agree yeah, with that? Definitely. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we love him so much? Um. Well, because he's he's he acts so like together and cool and 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 uh, and he has all his shit together pretty much. But when you but when he when he has that scene with Morpheus, he breaks and you realize that he's had it with this world and he just wants to be left alone. No, and, and that's <laughs> what I think <clears throat> I think that, that moment is really key because um, he in in this movie, he's actually kind of he's like the, the machine that's actually becoming more human. 
as it goes on. Like he's he's getting more and more fed up, more and more, like he's having human emotions. He's he yeah. has rage, he has uh, like frustration and like bitterness and like all this stuff that like he hates the u- humanity so much, but he's forced to be in it. Yeah, he's, he tastes the stink yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, and it, and that's a thread that the sequels, as I was saying with the sequels, that's a thread that they pick up on really well, where he's actually like unplugged, so to speak, as he says, and um, like goes on sort of a huge, like a power trip, basically, yes. and rebels against the system. And I noted like throughout this movie, there's very much a kind of, anti-authority, anti-establishment. There's a very much like a kind of a revolutionary spirit to to the film in general that I think really carries throughout all the Wachowski's work. I mean, if you look at like Speed Racer or like they're, they're going against the racing institution. It's a real to be corrupt. And um, Sense8. Sense8, which I haven't even... You've seen all of... I've seen like a couple episodes of, but I need to... That's the only thing that they've made that I haven't really watched because I'm not as much of a TV person these days. Um, but I definitely want... Did they ever put out like the movie that they were supposed to do or to finish it? Um, I didn't watch it because I was sad that it ended. Oh, uh, so you're like, <laughs> it's never going to end in my mind. Yeah. I want to leave it unresolved. Yeah, um, I'm so pissed that Netflix took it off. It's, well, Netflix it was actually now, now turning into... all the Marvel shows. They're, they're like canceling things left and right. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's more to do with the deal with uh, Disney than any the Disney and Fox thing or whatever mm-hmm. anyway. Um, I guess. But uh, yeah, but yeah, that's a theme that they were really big on uh, in a lot of their work. So... Um, yeah, so Agent Smith, Hugo Weaving was, I think, my real discovery in this movie. Cause also, this was just, even before Lord of the Rings. And just his his voice, the way he carries himself. He has like a very like unique look to. Um, they add to the character as well. That's part of of, uh, of kind of what the the themes that they're trying to get across. And this was around the time where there was a lot of dystopian movies. Like this is often gets compared to Dark City and and this is part of the year this which felt to me like 1999 for those who didn't live through it is it was a very pivotal shift for cinema. Like there were all these like kind of uh, all these films that were like that were fighting against kind of the uh, the the preconceived notion that this is what a film should be this is what you should strive for this is the system and this is your box and you stay within it you know you had movies like American Beauty which is about which I've talked about with my friend Michael Hinman on a previous episode people can find that at crookedtable.com which is about a middle aged man basically having a midlife crisis and saying yeah fuck this job fuck you fuck this this family situation I'm in I'm gonna pick up my my plate of asparagus and throw it against the wall whatever Fight Club which the whole movie's about Against the system, mm-hmm. uh, being John Malkovich, which really questions like uh, you know gender norms and like all kinds of like you know the your consciousness. Like there's a lot of this is like this is a really this is like the nexus point of of uh, that kind of outsider thinking breaking into the mainstream. And I think the Matrix is is an illustration of that. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? It, um... I mean, there, yeah. There's a lot of ties that you can make between, like, like, uh, like, oh, I, 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 like, between like a robot and someone that's older, that's very like set serious, set in their ways, um, just going through the motions day after day, doing the same routine things, very much like uh, like a program is, which right. is what the Asians are. I mean, uh, they're they're 
they're they're uploaded into the system, right? In a way, that's so, all metaphorical to me. It's yeah, what I'm yeah, and they all wear like they're all like proper with their suits and and their hair done nice with sunglasses. We could talk about this all day and just break down all these different things, just because there is so much to say just about this one element of it. Um, and you know, this is one of those movies that I rarely say this, but this is one of those movies that I would. I would literally say as a flawless movie. Like I would, there's not a, a frame I would change. There's not a line of dialogue. Even the CGI, which could be a little better if they did it now, it's not. It's not so dated that it it's egregious. Yeah, you exactly. know, it's not. It's not like back in the day, like some of those movies that rely more on stop motion. Where it, like if you look at Ghostbusters, which is a movie I love, some of the stuff with the dogs, the demon dogs running, like it's really bad because yeah. it's just like stop motion. It's like does not hold up at all. It looks ludicrous. Yeah. Um, uh, when they're sitting, it's fine because it's the animatronics and stuff. That that obviously has aged really well. But uh, the CG in here, like when he throws, puts the bug in his in his stomach and all that stuff. And of course, you have the bullet time um, that happens with Trinity, sort of in the beginning, and then uh, think, with Neo. I think the, the crappiest end. CGI in this movie is the the part with the mouth and how it's like yeah, like uh, kind of closing. yeah yeah when it's closing, it cuts to him. He has like. Um, like it starts to gumming to up close, kind of, gumming yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. That, that's probably like the part where you could be like, oh, this is a little dated Sketchy. on the CGI. This is yeah. so nineties. But the rest of it, it like the the when he when he wakes up in uh, the real world for the first time, um, and he sees like the farm, the, of, the pod, yeah, people the, or the, whatever, the yeah. farm of humans below that they're sucking energy out of. Um, that. This uh, looks incredible. Yeah, and you you wouldn't even know that that was the nineties. It's interesting that he's basically born in like he's basically reborn. He's like a little baby with his bald head, never used his eyes before. Yeah, exactly. Muscles are atrophying and everything. Yeah, um, and he's basically born in like this little pod full of essentially amniotic fluid, basically. Uh, and it, yeah, that's that's and that, that's where it gets into some of the, kind of some of the body horror elements, like with the like was, cables popping off his it's back. Very, and it's, it's very like, dark. It's very Cronenberg esque, like with the fly and things like that. Because they said that the ones that do die are then liquefied and used to feed the ones which that is, are living. Which I think I think Kai forgot about that because when I was rewatching it yesterday, she was like, "Whoa, what the hell?" Yeah, like you forget how like how graphic some of the things that. You know how much, and that's why I'm saying. I think it's why that's more than like the the fighting and stuff. I think in a way that's why this movie kind of deserves to be rated R because the concepts are so like horrific in rea- in reality. Um, and obviously, you know, we're talking about the visual effects. This did get an Oscar for visual effects, which I think is well deserved, uh, just because it, it created that. It deserves more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in this day and age, I kind of feel like if this came out now. This would probably get nominated for it best picture. It still holds up. I mean, Black Panther is nominated for best picture and won the, the SAG award uh, for best ensemble cast and things like that. So I feel like, you know, this is this was so uh, you know got very positive reviews, huge hit at the box office. It has all like we said, all this all this uh, artistry and craft that went into making it. It's not just another like popcorn flick, um, like a lot of the other ones that that came out around this time or that came out after that wanted to be the matrix. Yes. I, it was such a reference point in pop culture that everything was, everyone was doing parodies of this, whether it's like Shrek or a scary movie, or they were taking this kind of action and being like, we could do something like that with our fighting. If you watch something like Charlie's angels, it's all those 
like Drew Barrymore up in wire and shit, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was such a turning point in so many different ways. Um, and it's interesting that it's kind of, as I was saying with the film noir aspect earlier, it starts out from the perspective of the real world, like starts with where we would normally come from in a movie like this, mm-hmm. that place of awe and be like, what the hell? People are jumping on roofs and shit. What is happening? Yeah, exactly. And then little by little kind of brings you in. And then Neo kind of acts as the audience surrogate. There's also a certain element, I think in the story, cause it's a chosen one story. There's a certain element of wish fulfillment, I think, where you're, every time you watch them, part of why I think that's such a huge storytelling uh, hallmark that a lot of movies and books and whatever refer back to is because it's always, it's like, it's the, like I said, the wish fulfillment element. So you're reading a story, you're reading Harry Potter, you're like, fuck, I wish Hagrid would walk in in my house and be like, you're a wizard, Rob. You're a wizard, Freddy. You know? Yeah. Uh, so the fact that they got a guy who is obviously... Keanu Reeves is very good looking and also kind of ageless because he looks the same now and it's 20 years ago. Yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, but he's also, the way he acts as far as in an action role feels kind of almost fish out of watery in a way. I know he'd done action a little before this was before Speed was before this and things like that. But like him doing Kung Fu like at the end when he does like the, the pose, he looks kind of goofy. But when you remember that in the context of the movie, he's supposed to be kind of a computer nerd. Like, like very like very much insular. He's not like a cool, confident guy. He's like somebody that all of a sudden discovers, oh, I know kung fu. Yeah, you know. Well, this is yeah. That's that was one of the things that I noticed when I watched uh, the film again is that their first fight sequence um, in the dojo, um, their first sequence with him and Morpheus. Yeah, their first fight one before they take can. the break and then they get. It's very. Um, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Same, uh, and that's the thing, same choreographer, Yin Wu Ping. Yeah, it's very, like, uh, playful. Uh, sparring. Like, it's a sparring program, it's, yeah. It's, well, it's not, like, realistic fighting as much. Yeah. It's, like, it's like artistic, like, like, um, like I just learned how to play, like, I, I just learned how to fight. Right. And Morpheus is probably, like, just going along with it. He's like, oh, look at him, he... He ran up the beam and he's flipping around and he punches him and no one spins one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's just like letting him get his 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 uh, you know, get a feel for get a feel for it because he just literally just learned kung fu within the ten hours or whatever um, that he was on the chair. So. so he's just like, oh, I'll I'll go and take this ride with you, and when you know you want to be playful, I'll I'll go toe to toe. But then it starts getting serious. You realize there's more close contact. Uh, there's not so many like flips and like acrobatic things right. and stuff like that. It's more realistic, serious, and I think that's when Neo like takes it seriously in terms of uh, of. Um, like getting, he starts getting his bearings with the kung fu, and he tries to actually beat Morpheus. Right. Yeah. And then he starts after think, he realizes that all I his little like tricks and flips. And then Mouse notices that he's like, look at it, look at the, look at his, his, you know, his, you know, his whatever they're, however they're speeding his speed or whatever is like off the charts, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. And I do, I did notice watching at this time that uh, the real world people, like the main, the heroes. Uh, their their moves are much more balletic, and they're much more uh, you know uh, athletic kung fu like very much like yoga inspired like whooshing around and stuff. Whereas the agents, because they are 
inherently much stronger because they're part of the system. They're much more brutish and they just like boom, 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 punch. You know, like there's – Hugo Weaving does choreography with Neo at, towards the end when they're fighting in the subway station. But for the most part, he's just like pounding on people, the agents. You know, they don't really – they don't like swoop around or jump off rooftops and stuff. They're just like – Terminator mode, basically, the whole movie. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, th- I think that's interesting. You know, Yen Wu-Ping did such a great job with the choreography that it even informs kind of the characters and, and their methods and their abilities in that way. Um, and I think, you know, I think you, you really hit, hit on something there with Neo and Morpheus. And that's basically, other than the Trinity thing in the beginning where she jumps up and does that little, like, crane kick on that yeah. guy uh, and then jumps off the roof and kind of gets away. Um, other than that opening moment where we have no idea what the hell's going on um the neo morpheus fight is kind of the only next really big a bit of combat that we get in the film um but no i really i noticed that about uh keanu reeves casting here that i think it brings it bridges the gap kind of we you know uh casting somebody that feels a little out of place as an as this kind of kung fu artist uh it it kind of serves the the idea that, you know, hey, even you could be a kung fu master. You could be the one and you don't even know it. You're sleeping on your keyboard and you're like, hey, it's talking to you. Follow the white rabbit, man. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's kind of awakened. I think, and it's the end. The movie ends like that in a way where he's talking to the matrix, to presumably, I guess, the matrix. Say, I want to show these people what, what you don't want them to see a world without you, without. Uh, without borders and boundaries, but all that whole speech, mm-hmm. a world where anything is possible. It's almost like Neo challenging you, like, hey, you can do it. You can do anything you put your mind to. Maybe you have all this potential. Maybe you're like Spoon Boy and the other potentials. There, there's no spoon. It's only you. It, you're, you're only bending yourself. Like it's you that you have to. Listen, I'm getting inspired now. Yeah. You have to find have the to power find within yourself, yourself, and you can. You know, maybe you're not going to be able to run on walls and dodge bullets, but you can accomplish great things if you set your mind to it. And and in that way, I think the movie is very inspiring and amidst again amidst all the other like philosophy and all these other things like film noir and all these other elements that are in this film it has like a really kind of powerful impactful message and that's probably another reason that it stuck with both of us for 20 years in that way i agree <laughs> wow <laughs> thanks for that um so uh so yeah so and there's a lot the movie drops symbolism and all kinds of hints and references right from the beginning i mean i forgot the guy's name the guy with the jour at the beginning, they buys the disc, but he says, "Oh, you're my savior, man, my own personal Jesus Christ." Because the whole movie, Jesus uh, Neo, not Jesus, might as well, might as well call him Jesus. Uh, Neo has like such a, such a he's such a messianic figure in this movie. He's very much a messiah. Uh, there's like he dies and then is reborn and all this stuff. Um, and the same guy says that Neo needs to unplug. There's a lot of there's a lot of things happening here, and like it almost makes me wonder if. That group, like those people, I, I don't know if this is something I came up with or something I read as a fan theory, but that those guys, like those people are actually residents of Zion who are kind of sent into the Matrix to bring Neo and start him off on this path. Oh, you mean the... The, the dude at the door whose the name I can't remember. The White Rabbit. And, and yeah, what's the girl? Their way of, the yeah, they're, they're, they're people that are... <coughs> plotted there to get him to go to the club where Trinity will meet with him. Right. Well, the, otherwise, how would she know? Unless she's she did like uh, research on them before or something. Or something. It's weird the way that happens. Um, and there's a lot of things in this movie where you can kind of. Um, I wrote down here somewhere that there's that moment 
with, yeah, right here, where Tank wakes up and kills Cypher. Very coincidentally, there's a lot of things in this movie that feel like you could either be like, all right, well, that's just, you know, that's just a coincidence or that's just like, uh, you know, uh, the system, logic, whatever. Like there's a lot of, there's a big science versus faith thing going on here. What do you mean the part with Tank and Cypher? So the part when um, the part when Cypher is about to pull the plug on Neo and he's like, if he, how could he be the one if he's dead? That whole thing. Yeah. Joe Vanzilliano, another like VIP of this movie for sure. Yes. Basically, I like the bad guys in this movie the most. It sounds like Agent Smith and Cipher. Um, just like they get like they have the, the most the richest performances in some ways. Uh, although to be fair, my favorite in the movie is probably Morpheus. Like, oh, yeah. He's he's got the the awesome voice. He's got like he's like the the character you want to root for, and he's also the one that you, they they make sure that you care about in the first half because the second half his life is in jeopardy like most of the second half of the movie yes he's, exactly. he's captive and being tortured or whatever um so no the uh, the part when cypher is about to pull the plug on neo and then te- and she's like he's like uh talking to trinity he's like you never told me if you bought into morpheus bullshit i just wanted a little yes or no and she's like yes he's like no i don't believe it and he's like believe it or not you piece of shit you're still gonna burn that whole part yeah. which marcus chong is great in this movie so you're saying like his so uh, the timing of time to tank happening to wake up and pick up that gun at the exact moment that cypher is like because he could have is picked it, it faded up. is neo faded that he's the one because so there's this whole thing going on here where she just basically tells you what you need to hear. It's kind of self-fulfilling prophecies. Like she doesn't know that Neo is – I don't think she necessarily knows that Neo is the one. Or do you think that she knows Neo is the one? Or do you think she kind of hopes that he will become the one because she's giving him uh, – telling him what he needs to hear to, to, to achieve his – kind of like spoilers, mild spoilers. Not really. Uh, for Glass, like in that part of that movie is Mr. Glass – working with the beast to push David Dunn to reach his full potential. So is it like that kind of situation where the Oracle's saying, Oh, sorry, you're not the one. So that he'll put himself in a situation where he has to become the one and kind of rise up to it. I I, I believe that she puts in his mind that he is not the one, but it's still up to him to make the choice on whether or not he wants to go and save Morpheus or go and just be there for himself. But I think the point that she makes to Morpheus that he is the one, um, because I'm sure there's been several other ones, but he is the one. Well, the yeah. one that survives. So in her head, she probably already knows that Tank is going to go there at that moment. Maybe in another one, Tank wasn't, you know, someone alternate, like Tank wasn't there. Yeah to stop that and they were too late but in this instance what what makes this very uh prominent like a notable as him being the one is the fact that he does go in time to save him and that's what the whole movie's about you know no one wants a movie about well obviously a, i just one that's, in the context yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah i'm saying dead. like he, he wouldn't be the one if he was dead cyber's <laughs> yeah. like i mean that'd be there's enough guys watching this movie if he's the one and i kill him he's not the one so i mean that'd be Sorry, a big thanks turn for the money, but that'd be a big over. turn in the plot because yeah. <laughs> because if you pulled the plug neo's dead he then, yeah that's then, like a choose your own adventure I mean, he pulls the plug and then it's like the end. Then maybe Tank comes, he fries Cypher, <laughs> then the Sentinels come, they kill the Neo almost they dies destroy, very many, they many destroy times the in this Nebuchadnezzar. Movie. 
because like like um, Agent Smith said, like oh, bring the Sentinels in as according a plan. So they're planning on killing Cipher anyways. Right. In 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 this plan of theirs, they just wanted him uh, to use him as a pawn to get to Morpheus. Right. So. Um, then it would just be Trinity, and she would be a lonely act trying to. It'd probably be just like She'd an be escaped. One. Maybe she. Would well, you be know, the there's one. there's a line of uh, Star Wars comics that are sort of like what if scenarios. So it's like what if Luke died in the snow on Hoth. That's the one I have. Luke died in the snow on Hoth and couldn't become you know save the the rebellion and defeat the Empire. And Leia had to go to Dagobah to train to be a Jedi. So it would have been like that kind of scenario maybe where Neo dies and Trinity's like, fuck it, I'll be the one. Yeah, well, maybe all those things had to happen in order for Trinity to find it within herself to become the one. Maybe the Oracle fed the lie that Neo is the one that she's going to be with or whatever. Right. Well, it's also like, you know, if you tell – if someone that you – believe is and i even wrote that down here that she's kind of influencing the future under the guise of a prophet it's being you know if if you have if someone that you believe knows all and they tell you see that person over there it's the person you're gonna marry yo then you might be like really i guess i should talk to him and then oh look what happened we fell in love because that that idea was sort of incepted into uh into trinity's head you know like she even says to neo it's like Zephyr, don't worry about the the vase. And he's like, oh, what vase? Pff. And she's like, what's really gonna? What you're really gonna wonder is later on, would you have broken it if I hadn't said anything? It's like that kind of thing. Yeah, but would he have thought about that if she didn't say anything about him? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, would he think about that later unless she took note and said that you're gonna be thinking about this right. later? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's another. It's, that's but another it's all point it's too. all levels of manipulation to me. Um, but the the thing he still did end up turning to be the one. Right. So she might she probably if she didn't know for sure she had a hunch at least that he was going to be the one. Right. Or at least saw something in him that would make him possible. To He's be got there. the gift. She says that at least she she admits that much. Um, <clears throat> and I think Gloria Foster, who played the, the Oracle, so now we're transitioning into a conversation about the Oracle, which I have a whole bunch of notes on that one scene. Um, I, I, she was an accomplished stage actress and everything before this, and she you know, kind of sadly passed away. Uh, after Reloaded, she had the, another one, one scene in Reloaded. Uh, I think she's one of the, the greatest like one-scene performances of all time, because you come into this and you, you don't question anything she tells you. Like, you know, uh, she, she, she feels 100% believable in the role, and her scene is so pivotal for establishing uh, this story and where it's going and, and really grounding the... I mean, when she shows up, the whole movie after that point is about what she told Neo, yeah. really, you yeah. know? Um, and the fact that she has that know thyself in Latin over her doorway kind of lends into the whole self-empowerment thing we were talking about earlier, that it's like being in love and all that stuff. And she says, she even says to Neo, I'll see you in your next life, kind of teasing the fact that he's probably going to die and then come back. Um, and then when she quotes to him, another thing I thought, when she quotes to him, um, you know, you're going to go back, you're going to have a cookie, and you're going to go back and you're going to remember you don't believe in any of this fake crap. It kind of makes me feel like since we later find out she's a program, it feels like that's almost an early hint of that, that of her, the true nature of her. And then maybe she's through the matrix. She's been watching him along with kind of as Morpheus has been searching him. Like if, um, if 
she's moving around the pieces on the, the chessboard. She is the person standing over the chessboard, kind of watching everything and maneuvering everything around. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it makes me think that she's kind of been keeping an eye on everything in the situation by watching the Matrix. Like when they, when people, because remember Neo tells that to Morpheus when they're in the Matrix. So she knows everything that happens in the Matrix and she's been watching these key players in the game that she's playing. Yeah. So I feel like that's kind of an early hint to the fact that she's not just a person or whatever. Because at this point, you don't know if she's just a human being who was unplugged and somehow has this magical gift. Um, it's really, you know, it's really left open to interpretation. And then not until the next one where you find out what was going on. So it makes me think that she was kind of um, keeping an eye on him from the beginning and uh, that she even maybe knows the agent's plan to, to come after Morpheus because that literally happens right after they're leaving the, the Oracle, like when they're about to head back, pretty much. So it makes me think that she knows what the agents are up to because she's part of the system and that she can be like, oh, watch out sometime soon. I'm not going to say when. Yeah. They might be coming for Morpheus and it's up to you to make a decision. Know yourself. You yeah. know? <laughs> um, so I feel like that... that kind of like be, a secret cell type yeah, of... Yeah. Like, like she's tapped in like... But she's, to the, she's part of the, she's a program and she's part of the, she's in the system. So it makes me think that she, she's kind of aware of what's happening on both sides and it's kind of being like, all right, how can I get these people all where I want them to be so I can kind of do you think she's achieve on, peace? Do you think she's on the same side as the agents? No, not at or all. Or do you think that she's on another side and has like a, like a, like a police like radio that taps into their like... Their little earpiece. Well, I think she's, I think she's, uh, she's not on the agent side, but she's still a program, and so she's still inherently part of the system, you know. And because she's the mother of the Matrix, I like to think she has some kind of uh, oversight over what's going on, whether because they're all plugged into the source, which at the end is the giant baby head made from Sentinels, I guess. Yes. Um, <clears throat> but if she's the mother of the Matrix, can't she influence the agents then? I know she can influence the agents, but she can. She knows what I think. She knows what's what they're up to and what their plans are, so that she can kind of tell Neo the thing he needs to hear exactly when he needs to hear it, so he can take action, so that he can become the one and kind of you know little by little try and and get the the humanity side of this sort of ongoing battle to so to to end the cycle of mm-hmm. the the same you know. Humanity's uprising. The machines destroy them. They start over again. Blah 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 blah. Create another program. Right. Exactly. It's like the, yeah. Keep rebooting the Matrix over and over. And she's trying to end that because she, you know maybe she's a. We've seen a lot of times in these movies whether it's Smith becoming uh, pissed off and bitter and like making Lawrence Fishburne smell his own sweat. And uh, later in the movies like with the you know Persephone and and her like turning her back on the Merovingian and then. Uh, oh man, I can't remember in the third one the, the people's names, but the uh, the Sati's parents in the third one who are like developed love, they developed emotion. You know, uh, I think she's de- realized she's kind of developed more of a, a sense of morality that what the machines are doing and the way that they're enslaving humanity is not right. And so she's trying to do what she can from the in- she's like the inside man basically yeah. to from the inside to try and and end that. If that makes sense, it does. <laughs> so going into uh, the Morpheus, like, what did you think about, uh, I guess, Lawrence Fishburne's casting and the whole introduction scene with him in the house and the, 
in the the was it a house? What is the hell is that? It's like a random place that they go. Um, it might be like, it's a, like mansion. a mansion, mansion, a warehouse, or something. I don't yeah. even know. Yeah, it might be like a mansion or something. To, to show, like on the decor and stuff, it kind of looks like it might be like a like a mansion or. Um. I, yeah, I thought his his uh, delivery was really good. I thought. I mean, not a lot of people can make like a character that awesome. I mean, the script is incredible. Right. Well, but yeah, you also really have to, it, for sure. But, but, but it also depends on the actor and the delivery on how those things come, you know, it could sound like too cheesy or too, you know, like, Oh, it's Tommy, uh, to take this pill or that this isn't real. Yeah. You or, have to have a sort of era of authority. Otherwise audiences aren't going to buy the like outrageous sci-fi premise that you're selling them. Exactly. So I thought I thought he was very good at the delivery, and he just has a really cool voice as well. Yeah, and of course, Morpheus in mythology is the god of dreams, uh, and then the, the thing with the sunglasses that don't have the legs is super cool. Um, and it's raining when they go there, so there's like all this. He brings in he brings in part of uh, the fairy tale element that I'm talking about with the Alice in Wonderland reference. Trinity basically does the Sleeping Beauty kiss on uh, Neo and wakes him up. So there's a lot of that going on. No, I I don't know. I I really like um, Morpheus. Uh, for some reason, he's one of my favorite characters. I think just because he has that sort of uh, certainty in in his conviction. Like he knows he's like he doesn't even question. He's like no, you're the one. And then everybody else is like Neo's like I'm not the one, Trinity. And Trinity's like, no, no, you sh- you're supposed to be because I think you're cool and I, I want to have all your babies. And um, <laughs> uh, and Oracle told me that was going to be you, so um, you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, he ha- like Morpheus has such blind faith in this that even the Oracle, like she says, even the Oracle wouldn't be able to tell him otherwise. What else does he have? You know, he has to have a blind faith in in him being the one. Otherwise, they're screwed. Yeah, if they don't have anyone. It's like uh, it's it's like. You know, people, uh, you know, having like re- religious beliefs, they feel like with all this bad stuff that happens to me, I'm going to, there's going to be some, uh, um, it's all going to be corrected and in the end because of, you know, uh, some deity, whatever yeah. religion. So that's kind of like Neo's like his like guiding star being like, well, all this bad stuff that's happening right now, this person is going to solve all of the stuff that's happening in the real world. Um, so he has no other choice yeah, no but recourse. to believe in, in him and, and to believe in, in the possibility of the, the one. Stay tuned next week for the second half of our conversation on The Matrix, right here on the Crooked Table Podcast. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. Oh, okay. <laughs>